0: Welcome to episode 272 of So You Want to Be a Writer. It's a podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing and the podcast that has now surpassed over 1 million downloads. Thank you, listener community. I'm Valerie Koo, CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses, useful resources, and the best, supportive, most awesome writing community out there. I'm here with my incredible co-host, Alison Tate, otherwise known as AL Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cypher book series, and just an all-round cool chick. hi
1: <laughs> Apparently I'm cool. Yes. Who knew? <laughs> I knew. I'm Anyone who's years. ever met me would be like rolling their eyes at this point. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, I'm coughing and choking as well as being cool. Um, how am I? I am... Well, you know, I'm a little bit smashed, actually, and not in a, like, drunken, stupid kind of way, but in a work kind of way. That's how I am. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know my feeling.
0: You feel my pain. Am I right? I do. I do. We're both a bit smashed because we've both got a big deadline coming up on the book that we're writing together, so that is pretty exciting. It is Mm. exciting.
1: It's also a little bit stressful, but that's okay.
0: We'll be right. We'll be right. We'll be fine. I had some interesting learnings in the world of uh, writing and publishing this week. So uh, some listeners will know that my last book, Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business, um, was released in English but also in Spanish. Hmm. So that's all very exciting that it's uh, in the Spanish-speaking world and it's kind of funny when I find book reviews in Spanish on YouTube about it, but some interesting things because you kind of forget that it's in Spanish. And recently, well, this week I received an email, quite a long one, <laughs> all in Spanish. And I, well, I wasn't sure, but I deduced that it was Spanish, and I thought, oh no, someone's sending me spam. But I cut and pasted it into Google Translate, and. It was this guy who had all these comments about the book and, you know, um, appreciation about it and had some questions as well. So that was nice. So I'm going to have to type my answer in English and then put it into Google Translate and hope that it does a decent job. But here's the other interesting thing. I've mentioned this before. There's um, there's a thing in my book where you can download some uh, templates that will help you in some of the content of the book. If you're interested, you know, and I've it's in a password protected section so that only readers of the book can um, access it. And the password is let's say the, you know, the fourth word or whatever, I'm making this up, in the, you know, fifth chapter, right? And the Mm. fourth word in the fifth chapter might be ball. And you just type that in and then you get access to the downloadable templates. Mm. And that all works perfectly fine. But, of course, I didn't think of any of that uh, when I when <laughs> I wrote the book because and didn't realise that the book would be uh, translated into Spanish. So, of course, the fourth word in the fifth chapter is not ball No in Spanish. No. And so often people, Spanish-speaking people will email me and I will say, oh, yeah, sorry, it's ball. And they then type it in and all is fine. But after all this time, somebody, I, I, I had an exchange with somebody and they said, by the way, the word ball in Spanish is whatever. So I thought, "Oh, that's great. I'll add that as the as a possible password." Right. But then after a bit of an exchange, they said, "But um, cuz the thing is, with Spanish the syntax is different."
2: <laughs> right. So
0: they said, "Yeah, but it's not the fourth word in the fifth chapter." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's actually some other random word. Oh no! So, thank you to the reader who informed me of that. So now I have actually the correct word in Spanish, which is uh, not ball as uh, as as the access to the password. So that's a little bit of a long story. I know that was a long story. <laughs> that was that was a long story. <laughs> But people might learn from it, Al. People they might will. learn from absolutely. it.
1: absolutely. They absolutely will. And if there's any Spanish, if we have any Spanish listeners out there and you would like to laugh at Val in the <laughs> Facebook podcast group, please feel free to come and do so.
0: Please In do. whatever
1: language you choose.
0: All right, we want to give a big shout-out to Glenn Marshall who is in the Australian Writers' Centre community. He's a graduate and he did the travel writing course ages ago and he just announced that he's had his 100th Paid published article. So that is so exciting. That's, that's brilliant, really, really well cool. done, Glenn. Congratulations, um, Glenn.
1: Yeah, and that's a that's a real achievement. Like that's go you is all I can say. Well done. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, and you know, I know there are some people out there who've had more than a hundred, but I think a hundred is a really good milestone, and it's worth celebrating.
1: Absolutely, worth celebrating. Um, and also, and also, you know, like we've talked about this before, you got to take the wins, right? Take the yeah. wins where they are, because I have decided mm-hmm. that life is too short to mm. be an under celebrator. As we oh. know, I am a highly regarded, well known, world famous. Some might even say, yeah, under celebrator. Mm. And I have realized that I'm. I'm you know like why am I doing that to myself? So I'm going to celebrate more. It's my new thing.
0: Well done. I think that's a good idea because yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm prone to that as well. Mm. So I will celebrate for no reason but not celebrate the actual wins.
1: Yeah, I know. And this mm. it's like the big days come and you don't quite know what to do with yourself because you're so yeah. out of practice of of celebrating. So we're going we're gonna to celebrate more, of our That's what we're going to do, okay? It's our new thing. We're going to be okay. the celebrators of the podcast world. Speaking right. of which, we are also going to celebrate for Shelley Unwin, who is, yes. of course, a graduate from the Australian Writers' Centre and an all-round very cool chick. I had a lovely mm-hmm. chat with her at the Squibby Conference recently. Gorgeous. And she has been waiting very, very patiently, very patiently indeed, as one does, mm. But she has finally been able to share her massive news, which is that the uh, US publisher Doubleday Books slash Penguin Random House has acquired the first two of her board books, um, which Mm. which are called Your One and Your Two. And so we are celebrating for Shelley. They are going to be available um, on the 10th of September, but they are up on Amazon uh, for pre-order, if anybody's keen, if anyone's got a one-year-old or a two-year-old coming up in their lives around September, then you know, hook in and pre-order one of those. So, congratulations! Very, very exciting, Shelley.
0: Yeah, and they're absolutely gorgeous. Those books, so um, check them out. They're they're um, they're really fantastic picture books. And if you want to have a listen to the uh, interview that we did with Shelley. Um, we did one in the past in episode 185. Frantically so. Googling what episode number that <laughs> was. <laughs> so check that, that so out. Funny. All right, let's move on to our competition this week. Okay. Thanks to Transmission Films, we have 10 double passes to Sometimes, Always, Never. In cinemas, 14th March, Alan, who is played by the wonderful Bill Nye, is a stylish tailor with moves as sharp as his suits. He has spent years searching tirelessly for his missing son, Michael, who stormed out over a game of Scrabble. (laughs) <laughs> with a body to identify and his family torn apart, Alan must repair the relationship with his youngest son, Peter, and solve the mystery of an online player who he thinks could be Michael so he can finally move on and reunite with his family. So go to writercentercomau slash win in order to enter. Entries close on the 11th of March. That's writercentercomau slash win. Now, this is really interesting, the premise for this movie. How? Because there are, and maybe this is something that happens only with literary or writerly types. Because I know a couple of people who are writerly types, and this exact thing happened. They're not, they're not father and son, but one stormed out over a game of Scrabble, and they have never spoken since. Seriously. Yeah. So maybe it's a thing, like for people who are into writing.
1: Maybe. I mean, you know, like Scrabble, played- like. If you've cool. ever played Scrabble with a 10-year-old, there's a mm. lot of storming out involved in that, well, as it's... is storming out over Monopoly, storming out over, do you know what I mean? Like, right. Like we've had the full tip the board up on, you know, we've mm. done all, That's that's all, all occurred in this house. So particularly <laughs> when the boys play together without parental supervision, oh, there's yes. a truckload of storming Storm. out goes on. Mm. But I've never really, there's never, I've never heard of anyone who's, Stormed out and never spoken to that person again. Yeah, like, yeah, what these could are you adults. possibly do in a game of Scrabble that would cause that? It's true. Like you put out a. I mean, you know, my mom doesn't play Scrabble anymore because they allowed proper. Was it proper nouns they allowed in? Could, <laughs> she's outraged. She was outraged, and also she was very unhappy with the official list of two-letter words. Like really unhappy with that. Like oh. she, Scrabble runs deep. I get it. I yeah. do. But that, really? Like what, you've put out the seven letters and won the game by a mile? I mean, what what do you do? Well, is it an um, argument over what's allowed and what's not? I, I don't get it. I've no, never felt no. that
0: strongly about a game of Scrabble. I guess I think my... that when you put the words out, it might, depending on what you're trying to get away with, you see, with the word, it might mm. reveal something deeper about yourself and really that is the root of the issue.
1: Yeah, well, obviously there's, you know, some deep issues. Like, you know, I play with... With my youngest son, occasionally not so much. They I've, it's a rare member of my family who will actually play Scrabble with me, which I think is a real shame. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, and you know he gets, you know he tries to put out a word that's doesn't exist. Like let's face mm-hmm. it, doesn't exist, and then tries to convince me that it does, and I tell him he's playing the wrong game. Like what's that game? <laughs> Is it bolded out or articulate, you know, the one where you have to actually come up with a valid, you know, valid meaning for the word so that people can't work out if it's true or not? You mm
0: -hmm. know, he has a
1: good crack at that. And that's, he should play that because he's got a great imagination. But, you know, it's not Scrabble. All
0: right. Well, anyway, I love Gwen Eye. Sounds like a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, I I like like the look of the movie. movie. Yeah. All right. Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, speaking of words, wow, we're just going hard in this area this, I this know. time.
1: Well, uh, I am. Yes. Yeah, you I sound am. hesitant. Well, you know, I'm never you know, I'm never all on all Aww. for this, but I'm I'm always willing to you know, I you know, we have a long-standing friendship, Valerie, and I love you dearly and I'm willing to tolerate the word of the week. Shall we go with that? Oh,
0: that is so not okay.
1: Anyway. No, it's um, not. It's, I think it shows a great <laughs> deal of depth to our friendship that I am willing
0: to do this every single week. All right. Well, the word is you can pronounce it different ways. I'm going to pronounce it as if it's kind of like, well, it is English, but it is derived from the French. So the word is "ledger domain." But if you were going mm. to pronounce it with in the French, you would probably say loger de mort. But leger de main is L-E-G-E-R-D-E-M-A-I-N. So leger de main or loger de mort. Sounds a bit like a cross between a bookkeeping document, you know, a ledger, mm. and a real estate yeah. listing site. I know. Oh. Um, but it's oh. not. But it's not. It okay. means deception or trickery. Uh-huh, so you might say the treasurer of the footy club used ledger domain to siphon funds into his own bank account. dun dun, dun. uh huh Okay. Cool word, You probably word, wouldn't, right? though, would you?
1: You'd probably say the treasurer of the footy club embezzled the funds, wouldn't you?
0: Oh, yeah, no. maybe, but, you know. any uh, anywho. Okay, I like that word. Let's move on then to our writer in residence this week, Al. Oh, that's me. I'm it's on. you.
1: It's, sorry, I'm <laughs> um, okay. Wheeling myself out to center stage here, bowing in my feather boa. Um, so our interview this week is with the wonderful Bren McDibble, and this was an absolute cracker. This is really interesting because Bren writes award-winning novels in two different demographics under two different names and manages to maintain two separate um, author identities, and as I said, like wins prizes for these books. Um, So very, very interesting to talk to her about how that all came about, why she writes under two names, the very different nature of her novels, and um, all of the other things, because she kind of lives in a bus, and it's all highly entertaining. But anyway, I hope you enjoy this interview with Bren McDibble. Bren McDibble is an Australian author of children's fiction. She also writes YA fiction under the name Callie Black. In 2015, her first ever YA novel, In the Dark Spaces, won the Ampersand Prize and publication with Hardy Grant Egmont, and went on to win the New Zealand Prize for CYA, a Queensland Literary Award, an Aurealis Award, and a host of other awards, including being a CBCA Honour Book for 2018. That same year, her middle-grade novel, How to Be, published by Alan and Unwin, won the CBCA Book of the Year for Younger Readers and a string of other awards. Bren's new middle-grade novel, The Dog Runner, is out now with Alan and Unwin. Welcome to the podcast, Bren.
2: Thanks
1: for having me, Alison. Now, you've had an amazing couple of years there with I mean you know like I've only just mentioned a few awards but there are so many of them so let's look at how it all unfolded which of your novels did you first start did you start writing first
2: In the Dark Spaces was the one that I started writing first and it was actually a practice novel (laughs) that I never intended to show anyone so there you go just have fun and practice apparently it works Um, yeah so it was actually an accident that I sent that along to the ampersand prize because I had subsequently written how to be. And I got that out to send along to the ampersand prize because that's for middle grade and for young adult. And it was too short. It didn't meet the criteria. So I'm like, oh, well, I didn't realize how short it was. So I thought, well, I'm not going to be daunted. I'll send something else along. So I looked in my... um, File and I thought, oh, I really like this one, but I, you know, it's too weird. It's too out there, but I'll send along anyway. So I sent along in the dark spaces um, to Hardy Grant Egmont's Ampsam Prize, which is a first novel prize. And then I turned around and took How to Be and I put it in Helen um, and Unwin's Friday pitch. So what, on the same uh, day, basically? You've, you've, on the same on the day, same basically. Day. I sent them both off. Okay. Uh, and, and were they
1: the only two that you've had written at that stage? Like was it when you st- when did you start writing in the dark spaces? Like how many was that the first novel you'd ever written?
2: No, no. That's probably about my sixth or seventh novel. <laughs> I'm a very slow learner, Alison. It so you so had done sort of six, six
1: practice novels up to the point of writing yes. in the Dark Spaces. Okay, oh, that's yes.
2: interesting. I've got, I've got this massive practice novel that I wrote um, and it's something, it's almost 200,000 words for young adults. <laughs> it wow. could be four novels, I think.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: So, so, you know, I did a lot of practice. Are those practice um, novels
1: of, something that you would ever drag out and have another look at? now that you're out
2: there um yeah yeah the plot the plots of them um i think are quite good but i've learnt so much about voice and pacing and um uh, just writing with a bit more heart and honesty and and yeah not being didactic that Mm -hmm. kind of thing that you know new writers often stumble over um i've learnt so much about that and um I would really like to rewrite them maybe at some stage using those plots. So I've got a lot of fodder to drag out and have a look at if I wanted to go back that way.
1: So practice novels are never wasted is what you're saying?
2: They're never wasted. I mean, you've got to learn to write on something, don't you? That's um, exactly right. And I had fun writing those novels. I had fun telling myself the story and thinking up twists and turns. So, you know, as long as it's fun
1: how can it be wasted how can it be wasted so are they all YA novels or are they middle grade like did you I guess my question is like you've brought out these two books into two different markets at the same time Mm. did you did you kind of like did you know that how to be was middle grade and did you know that uh in the dark spaces was definitely YA did you have that sense that you were writing for two different groups of kids or is that just how those stories have you know you had the idea for the story and that's how those stories have come out
2: um, yeah, they're both very intensive. So Peony and How to Be is only nine years old, and um, in in the t- Tamara in the Dark Spaces is fifteen. So I knew from the outset that I was writing for the peers of the character, mm. um, and I was writing from the perspective of a nine-year-old and the perspective of a fifteen-year-old, and hoping that you know that would appeal to same-age readers. So, yeah, I definitely knew I was writing middle grade and knew I was writing young adult. Well, young, I think young, young adult, but some people think it's a bit scary.
1: <laughs> so did you ever get the sense mm-hmm. then that people, like, was there ever, because, you know, there's that whole, you know, thing going on out there that you need to, you know, choose what you're going to write and stick to that and get really good at it. And, and then once you become, you know, published, then you're sort of branded into that market, you know, forevermore. So did you ever get a sense that writing for those two different, Age groups was a risky thing to do, particularly given that you've sent those like technically those submissions out on the same day, which I think is hilarious.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was in a good mood and I decided, you know, just go for it. Um, I don't know. I, there are a lot of authors who write under two or three names, um, especially in YA. There's a few who write. Um, sort of romantic YA under one name, and then they write fantasy under another name. So I think when you're writing genre, it's it's kind of common to mm. you know try not to mislead your fantasy writers by giving them science fiction or romance, and just to have separate identities, even if you just go down to initials for one group of books and full name for another.
1: Mm.
2: So I think that's a fairly common genre thing Um, and I I wrote a lot of science fiction I've got um, science fiction for adults published in um, short stories and and I've got children's chapter books published in the educational sector which are books that go into reading boxes and schools and stuff like that so I kind of knew you know sort of where I was kind of heading Um, (laughs) but yeah, I think you can do both. Can't you do
1: both? Yeah, well, I think you can do both. But, you know, like people, there's a lot of you know, those people <laughs> with a capital P who, you know, those the they out there, the they that says you mustn't do this. But were you always going to write under two different names? Did you submit that? When you submitted those manuscripts on that Friday, did you submit them under two different? Like, did you send in the dark spaces off under Cali Black and submit to Alan and Unwin no, they... under your own?
2: No, they both went off under Macdibble. Right. Um, and it was after, like when the award was first announced, it was, um, the ambassade came through, it was for Bren Macdibble. Um But then we ha- we got together and we had a chat and they said, oh, you've got all these. I said to them, look, Alan and I want to hang on to a book too and they're talking about it and it's looking pretty serious. And they were like, well, if they reject it, we want to see it. But um, also they said, you know, you've got all these children's chapter books out in the education sector under Macdevil And this is a new career launching YA book. Yeah. So how about we have a new name? Because I've seen to them at the outset, I'm open to a new name because I, I was aware that McDouble was sort of carried this history yeah. of um, children's chapter book and right. um, adult short story. So they were like, yeah, let's do that. So, right. yeah. Kelly Kelly Black arrived
1: Kelly Black (laughs) appeared in the market so so obviously so tell us about winning that prize like you you've sent it off you know this thing that you were like yeah let's have a crack um and obviously you then get shortlisted and then you know there you are you're winning the ampersand prize and you know the book's going to be published so what was that experience like for you like obviously like entering a competition has worked out extremely well for you at that point
2: yeah. Oh, okay. it must be about the hundredth competition I'd entered, but what is it? Oh, that's <laughs> so good I was to know. Im- <laughs> I was pretty impressed that I won. Yeah. Um yeah. they rang they rang me um, to tell me that they wanted to publish it whether I won the award or not. Um and they said, How do you feel about that? And I said, I want to win the award. I <laughs> you know, I've been puddling along for so many years, getting nowhere and this is my chance to actually arrive in the marketplace with an award and I said I want this to be the best book it can be I don't want to be like a a one book wonder there's so many people get their first book out and then stumble at their second book they never get a another contract or or whatever so I was like no I don't want to just put out a mediocre book with no fanfare and have it just Die! I want it to be the best book it can be, and I want it to come out with an award stuck on it already. <laughs> wow! Okay. And um, they were—I think—they were kind of impressed with my ambition. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, if you had won, going, no, no, let me have the award. I want the award. If I hadn't won,
1: you wouldn't have published that book. It would have still come out
2: anyway, um, but it wouldn't have had an award. Right. Okay. And you know, it, I think it just needed that to get people to pick it up. Yeah, because it's odd. It's an odd story, um, and it's very difficult to explain. It's not like How to Be, we can say all oh, the bees are dead. Read this. It's going to be yeah, very yeah, cool. Yeah, So it's, got, it's not got that succinct
1: of, elevator pitch to it.
2: No, it ha- it's it's not simple to explain, which has given the marketing a bit of a, a bit of difficulty. So they, you know, a they call it a what do they call it a thriller a kidnap thriller when it's actually science fiction as well. But if you start talking about science fiction elements, you just it's just so much to absorb because it's quite a complicated story. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so it's it's quite difficult to pitch, and it's told in a um, contemporary style, but it's set in the future. So it's kind of, well, I don't know. Is it a contemporary style? Yeah. well, bit of anyway. a futuristic style. Yeah. Well, an intensive viewpoint like a regular YA is normally. Yeah, okay. so.
1: So what about how to be then? Like what was the path to publication for that one? You sent it to the Friday pitch. What happened next? I
2: sent it I sent it to the Friday pitch. Um and they said, Oh, we love it, but can you see it's not even a chapter book, it's too short and I went, like, Oh yeah. How I many don't words worry, I've got an idea. How many words
1: was um, it at that point?
2: I think it was only about twelve thousand words when I sent it off. Oh. That was short. it was really short. I was just just in a crazy day where I just sent anything off that day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Apparently that works. Uh, So I said, oh, don't worry. I've been thinking about it, and I have a really great idea for the medal. So they said, oh, can you send it back when you put a medal in it? So I did. (laughs) I put put the whole Esmeralda um, going to the city bit in the middle, and sent it back, and they were like, yeah, (laughs) we like it. Wow, that's so amazing! That was, so, how many words did you add to it? Oh, look, I had another ten thousand words. Oh, okay. My... <laughs> wow! okay. So it was basically half a book that I'd sent off, and and,
1: and you put the rest
2: in. Got to put the rest in and sent it off. Yeah. So,
1: so how um, long did that yeah, process
2: so, take? Um, getting it to Alan and Unwin, uh it. Getting it back to Alan, and <laughs> um, probably took oh I don't know another four or five months.
1: Right. Uh,
2: um, yeah, and by then, you know, in the dark space, it so had been contracted and won the award. And How to Be got a contract immediately when they saw the medal, and um, then How to Be needed only a little bit of rewriting. And In the Dark Spaces needed tons. So In the Dark Spaces took another year of rewriting. So, so Hatterby year, just kind of...
1: What year did they come out? Tell me what, what were the publication dates. For... So you've sent them off for submission technically on the same day. What were the publication dates for those two books?
2: Uh, be came out in May and In the Dark Spaces in July.
1: Wow. So you've gone...
2: 2017. Yeah. So you've gone from so,
1: no books in the sort of in that sort of you know general trade space to having two within yeah. a couple of months. Was that a strange thing for you? Like you've got two books coming out under two different names within a couple of months of each other?
2: Like, yeah.
1: how was Look, I how did I'd... you manage that? <laughs> how
2: did you well, manage I thought that I'd hit it? I thought I'd hit it big. But of course, they kind of entered the market quietly and without much aplomb. There was a bit of aplomb for the um, Ampersand Prize, but not much. So that was kind of like, oh, don't you people realise I've hit it big? <laughs> <laughs> <But> no, <laughs> they just entered the market quietly, and then people started, yeah, people started talking. Um, yeah, the pre-readers had started reading and and talking about how to be and talking it up and. Yeah, they, they suddenly just started to take off and um, it was really good having an Alan and Armand publishing team and a Hardy Grant-Egmont publishing team hooking up radio interviews and all sorts of things. I'd never done that before, so I felt a little bit special. Yeah, really? <laughs> so that was good. But um, during the rewrite, the house had burnt down, so I was yeah. kind of just like... Clinging to my books, going, I need success. My life is a disaster. So, So just to clarify, it was a really weird
1: time. Just to clarify, your house had burnt down. So, you're in the editing process for two books and your house burnt down? Yes,
2: my house burnt down. Wow. Um, okay. Yes. <laughs> so, I was like, um, in the dark spaces, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. and. Uh, how to be didn't go back and forth so often, but every now and then I'd have to stop throwing burnt objects into skips and <laughs> sit down. Oh, geez, read, read through a manuscript. And <laughs> oh, <no>. That must <laughs> have felt surreal. So yeah, because you have to move into emergency accommodation, so you have to, like, pack up what's left and move and buy stuff because you don't even have bedding or anything. And then you have to... Well, then we started rebuilding the house, and that was a nightmare as well. So, yeah, there were several like real life nightmares going on. Okay. Um, so it was, it was very nice to disappear into the world of my own books and work on that. And they were, yeah, they were coming along surprisingly well. I felt like I really knew what I was doing back then. Mm. The publisher would say, "Do this," and I'd take it and I'd run with it and wow. come up with something that they thought was good. So so you were yeah, editing I them I don't feel like that anymore
1: <laughs> <laughs> funny how that works so you were editing them at the same time when you were actually writing the manuscripts you, did you write them separate? like you weren't write, working on two manuscripts at the same time were you they were one after the other no yeah okay went after the and other and what is your process mm-hmm. for writing is it I've got this random idea about all the bees dying I'm going to start writing a book or is it you know more you have more of a planned sort of approach than that
2: yeah, how the, how to be um I just been waiting for that idea, um, to write a story set on a farm because I grew up on farms so I just wanted to like write what I knew. And uh, when I when I saw the bees in, in China and the people crawling through the trees in the Huffington Post article about hand pollination, um, I thought that's yeah, That's what my kid does in future Australia. She, oh. she, she's on a farm and she does that. And that just kind of all fell into place. I started writing it, um, rode around in circles for a little while, found the voice of Peony and, and kind of just started again and and let her tell the story. Oh. Um, and her voice was came across really strong, so it was quite easy to follow that. In the dark spaces... Um, I think it had like three or four beginnings before I sort of found what I was writing and where I was writing off to. And I wrote that right through, I went down a few corridors, came back, went, <laughs> I've, I've got, um, I think I've got, Sixty or 80,000 words in a rubbish bin from in the dark spaces. Wow. So I do a lot of writing and don't keep much. Um, But, yeah, when I first wrote it, it kind of lacked heart. It didn't have enough heart. So it wasn't until I added the gub character and gave Tamara more to live for that it started to come together. Mm. And that was a that was a suggestion by Hardy Grant Egmont. After they read it, they said, "We love it, but you know, her life is so dismal, and everything bad's happening to her. What's she living for?" <laughs> I'm like, mm, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got to give her some, you know, higher purpose, some family, some love." Yeah, so I came back and put her in charge of Gub and. Wrote them into it, so yeah, and okay. then I had a
1: book, yeah. All right, so now you've got The Dog Runner, which is a new Bren McDibble novel um, and yeah. it's a middle-grade novel. It's actually being reviewed as upper middle-grade, which I think is interesting. But uh, tell us mm. a bit about the book.
2: Yeah, this, this one is basically during a famine, uh, a girl and her brother try to get out of Melbourne City and head north to her brother's mother's farm. Um, and their sport, when there was food, was dog mushing. So they have um, three big Malamutes and a dog mushing cart, which they use to get out of the city. But the famine in this one I've caused by having a fungus wipe out all grasses, which mm. is a much bigger disaster than wiping out all bees mm. because uh, most of the modern food chain relies on grass or grass-based products, mm. um, meat and dairy and sugar and um, it all comes from grass. Rice is a grass, corn is a grass, so bananas are, are grass. So it all comes from grass. So it's, um, it was quite devastating. Uh, and I've said it in the middle of the famine, which is a little bit scarier than how to be, which is 30 years past a famine when everything's resettled. So Right. I think it's more it's more gentle, um, how to be than uh, the dog runner because the dog runner's kind of like the city's falling to bits, we've got to get out. And mum and dad, uh mum's off trying to get the power grid going and that's obviously failing, so dad's gone to get her but they, neither of them come back, so the kids set out on their own.
1: Ah. So where did the idea, I mean, you mentioned that How to Be came from seeing the article about, you know, hand pollination in China.
2: Where Mm. did the
1: idea for this one come from?
2: Um, Look, I go to a lot of science fiction conventions and Death of Grass is a old 1940s novel set in England, which is absolutely horrific. Um, (laughs) Don't read it. Don't read it? Okay. (laughs) Don't read it. (laughs) Don't read it. It's ten. It's terrible. It's like, oh, the women folk are all complaining about being raped and blah blah, and it's just awful. <laughs> um, so uh, that is a it's a theme that I talk about at science fiction conventions. What would be the worst famine? And it's always fungus, grass fungus, because there is actually a fungus that tends to mutate every ten years and get out of control, and last time was 1999 in Uganda. Um, It's called UG99, and that got out of control, and they basically burn everything to try and kill it. But you keep seeing up in Queensland these big circle funguses attacking grass, Mm. Um, and you think, oh, you know, it's kind of a little bit too real, this one. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. A little bit too real. I mean, the bees are real. That's happening. It's not so bad in Australia, but it's terrible in the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. only getting worse. so wow. But um, this yeah, is this is also a bit real. But people, people haven't really seen it outside of science fiction circles. But it is something that we talk about in science fiction.
1: All right, so this is a book that you know. Obviously, you've been writing this book with the house burnt down, and the you know, like you've got a whole lot of stuff <laughs> going on behind the scenes. How how did you manage to do this? Like, how did you manage to do to write a whole other book about such a post-apocalyptic or middle-apocalyptic kind of subject while you've got all of that other stuff going on, <laughs> you know, in your actual life. So- I actually, I
2: wrote this one when we were rebuilding the house, and then putting the house on the market, and then selling the house, and moving into a bus. Right. So, as one does, <laughs> and as one does. So, what, what that happened was I put in for that Neoma Sydney travel grant, which is um, a grant organised by the Maya uh, Maya Foundation and um, Vic Writers, I think it is. Um, let me just check that. I don't want to say that wrong. It's a. Hmm. you
1: looking up the name of your
2: own <laughs> grant. <laughs> I love it. It's the it's the Neil Sydney Literary Travel Grant from the Maya Foundation and Writers Victoria. There okay, you go. Cool. Um, and I put in for that, and I didn't think I'd get it because I kind of thought oh, I never get grants. I won't spend too long on this. I'll just choose a pile of things that I want to do to research the dog runner and put the grant in. So I did that really quite quickly and they gave me the money so then I had to turn around and do all these things that I said I was going (laughs) to (laughs) do as I'm trying to sell the house and move into a bus um, (laughs) and write the dog runner so I ended up traveling all over Victoria um, researching elements of the dog runner which is also quite helpful because you know that keeps the story fresh in your mind but you, you go and See how mushrooms grow in in tunnels or go out to the grasslands and talk to people about regenerating grasslands and all these little ideas and images and um, visuality would come to you. So you'd run back to the dog runner and write them all down and <laughs> it was quite a good way to do to, to go. I learned so much that I you know, I thought I knew a bit about grass growing up on farms and Things like that, but I, I've learned so much more. So I was really pleased I got to do the the travel yeah. grant and have a look at go out and have a look at things and walk a few railway trails, which is what Ella and Emery used to get out of Melbourne. They use old railway trails and things wow. like that.
1: Fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's, it's very good. But yeah, did
1: you know I, from I think, this? Sorry, continue.
2: I was just going to say, I think. Writing keeps me sane when everything's going mad around me. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it's an escapism, isn't it?
2: <laughs> it really is.
1: <laughs> um, how did you know that The Dog Runner was a Bren story and not a Callie story? Like in the um, idea, because the idea could potentially have gone either way, like given that you set it no, right I in wanted, the middle of the apocalypse.
2: I wanted to follow on from How to Be and I wanted another character the same age. Um, So I knew knew at the outset it was going to be a children's story. Mm. Young adult stories, I think they're kind of different to children's stories. Children's stories can be, you know, wild adventures and stuff like that. But young adult stories, they're people who are trying to figure out who they are. So where they fit into society, who they are, what kind of people they're going to be. So there's a lot of um, esoteric. Type thinking that goes on in a, in a YA story.
1: Do you think that's the key difference um, between the two? I
2: mean, yeah, I think yeah. YA is more coming of age, whereas children's fiction is can be a wild adventure. Now, people say that my books are a little bit scary, so they try to push them on to young adults. But I don't know that young adults would get so much out of a, a wild, you know, romp through the countryside. <laughs> dealing with bad guys and starvation (laughs) and big dogs Um, they might enjoy it but it doesn't satisfy that higher level of what a young adult is searching for when they read they're trying to live live lives and experience other people's thoughts and figure out who they're going to be and what kind of people they're going to be so they're on the way to adulthood
1: so on that, do you also have you also been working on a new Cali novel? Is there a new Cali How? novel coming out?
2: I have. I've handed one in to Hardy Grant and it's so much harder to write young adult because, you know, you have to operate on different levels, I think. Mm. Um, but I've handed one in to um, Hardy Grant and I'm just waiting to hear if they like it or not. Um, and it's, it's more contemporary than In the Dark Spaces in that it's set on Earth with um, – three main characters and the the land has kind of been invaded by this um, alien force that may or may not be mechanical and mm. there's just no way to stop it it's just harvesting what it wants mm. so the, the land is breaking around down, down around these three young people so um, yeah a bit devastating but I've got that <laughs> no really? <laughs> <laughs> just just for, just for a change. Just for a change. But don't worry about that. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but um yeah, I've got these three young characters who are bouncing off each other and they've all got, you know, different problems and different ways of thinking. So uh, yeah, I don't know. You're
1: finding the fun <laughs> in it when you, you it can I'm <laughs> like it. <laughs> Alright, so you're mm. now in the position of managing two different author brands out there in the marketplace and you have including like two different websites, a whole bunch of different social media um, channels, etc. How do you, how does that work for you? Like are you actively um, engaging on all of those, in all of those things all of the time?
2: Um, well, moderately actively. I'm not super active. Um, I try to... Chat to people who are interested in books and you know, sort of form relationships. I find that's more useful. Um, I retweet a lot of stuff if people are talking about my stuff, I just kind of share that around. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say I'm too bushy on <laughs> social media.
1: So where do you focus um, your efforts for Bren? Like, are you because I know you're on Twitter as McDibble. Um, yeah. but you're on Instagram. Are you on Instagram as McDibble as well as Callie Black? How, I mean, do you, do you differentiate between where you're going to reach your markets? I guess that's my question.
2: Yeah, I've got two Twitter accounts, uh, one for each. Um, yeah. I've only got Instagram for Callie Black. Um, I just thought that young people are more into picture-based mm-hmm. stuff and I've got Facebook for Bren McDibble. Um uh-huh so, yeah, so I've got two two Twitters, one Facebook and one Instagram, and, and that two might websites. Be yeah, <laughs> and I'm two websites. I'm pretty sure you've which managed myself. i <laughs> probably got enough going on there. Does it
1: take a lot of time, i guess, in your you know to to sort of be even moderately active across these things?
2: Oh, yeah, look you can spend a couple of hours a day just roaming around and seeing what people are up to and And um, reading, cruising online. Um, I don't know. I think I spend more time reading what other people are doing and adding little comments because I think Twitter can get really cold and boring if we post stuff and no one comments. (laughs) So I try to go around and comment on other people's things and hopefully when I post something or repost something, they'll give me a little comment and we'll all be warm and fuzzy. (laughs) That's
1: good citizenship right there, Bren. Good job. (laughs)
2: Love it. Oh, (laughs) great.
1: Now, let's just have a moment to imagine because you've been in this position so you can tell me what it feels like. Like, what what does it feel like when both of your books are kind of sweeping awards at the same time? Now, that must have been a slightly surreal situation to find yourself in.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was crazy. I, I like, everything had been chugging along fairly quietly and doing fairly well and some good reviews were coming in. And I'm like, oh, thank God. And, yeah, um, that was... 2017 when they came out and then 2018 they started getting shortlisted for everything and i'm like yeah yeah right right (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how that that's very nice to be shortlisted but yeah that's probably as far as it's going to go but then they started winning a few things so i was just stunned i was like oh my god i can't believe my first book out and it it's doing everything i hoped it would do like you only dream of your first book achieving some of the major awards and even (laughs) getting noticed noticed. so many good books come out and they're not even noticed they're not shortlisted so to, to come out and be shortlisted and then win some of them as well and you're just like that's just so much attention that they're getting so that was that was lovely that was more than I could hope for. I I just feel it was kind of lucky.
1: (laughs) Does it then set you up for like second novel syndrome times two though? Like in the sense that you've, these two first things that you've done have been incredibly successful, you know, critically and all of that sort of stuff. Um, And now, you know, and I'm assuming you were working on the dog runner at the time, Um, you know, does it set, like you've then got to produce a second novel for two, for two brands. That are going to follow yeah, up second. the success of the first ones, and
2: like, what what does does that all do, what does that feel like? It's 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 really crazy because you spend so much time running around, um, you know, marketing and answering interviews and doing stuff for the first two books. That's really hard to work on the second book. But then everybody expects your second book out a year later, um, and your first book may have taken three years, but your second book has to basically be turned around in a year and it's a year when you're running around, you know, picking up awards, which is nice, but also going to workshops, um, talking at festivals and answering interviews and think, you know, how are we going to do it? And then, you know, how are you going to recapture whatever it was that people liked in the first book? Because um, so many, yeah, so many authors get one book out and then stumble over their second book and mm-hmm. you can see why because, mm-hmm. yeah, so I was absolutely devastated to find out that I didn't know how to write um <laughs> when i started <laughs> writing my second book and i'm like oh it's a completely different character to peony and i'm like oh it has to be different she starts off she's not bold and out there it's not so far in the future it's more contemporary so i wanted a more relatable character um rather than somebody you know peonies Amazing and brave and inspirational, but I wanted someone in my kids could say, Ah, that's me. I'm a little bit scared of this world around me that's formed a bit. So it's very, very difficult to write, much more difficult than the first one. Um, But you got there in less time. Yeah, but I got there. Mm. Yeah.
1: I think the deadline aspect of it is actually one of the more difficult things that many first-time authors find to manage is the sense that you have all of that time to get your first book right, to get that first Mm. deal, and then you have to produce a second book to a deadline. And I think that that's – the pressure of that is, I think, often what comes with um, the second novel thing. And I'm thinking of you with all of that success around those first ones and then having to create a second book under those circumstances, you know, or a third book would be be very difficult.
2: (laughs) Two first books, two second
1: books. I know. I, this just like everything is echoing for me. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for your time today. I think that that's, uh, you've you've given us some brilliant insights there into a whole range of different things. And now I'm going to hit you with our last question, which of course is what are your top three tips for writers, Bren slash Callie? Oh,
2: read widely. Yeah. Um, like it's pretty obvious to say that if you want to write science fiction or fantasy, you read science fiction or fantasy. But don't stop just reading science fiction and fantasy. Read, you know, contemporary as well, and read lots of different voices. And um, you know, figure out how people are doing what they do when you love something. Um, so read widely is my first tip. My Second tip is write to have fun. Have fun when you're writing and try to surprise yourself. And people who plan out plots may, you know, find themselves leaving that plan. But <laughs> yeah, write to surprise yourself. Stop every now and then and go, oh, what if something really cool happened at the end of this chapter? And what could it be? And and yeah, just try to do that every chapter. <laughs> every
1: chapter, um, no pressure.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know. Some people are doing it every chapter and you do kinda of have to be um if you want to get published you do actually have to be better than what's already out there, I think, mm. to some degree. Or yeah. new or unusual or different. Because why not just keep publishing the same old people that are already published? It's not like we have a shortage on um writers out there. No. Um and your third tip? three. Three. Um yeah, pick apart pick apart the things you love and look for techniques. Um, follow those authors and read everything that they write about how they write and how they think they're achieving what they want to achieve. Then go back and pick apart their work again because you can learn a lot by just, you know, sort of stalking the authors you love and picking apart their techniques. Stock this is orders. how I learned to write I like it, <laughs> I
1: like it a lot alright well thank you so much for your time today Bren it's been absolutely pl- uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you now if you would like to have a look at Bren's two different websites uh, you can go to calandtheblack.com which is C-A-L-A-N-T-H-E-B-L-A-C-K.com. com or macdibble.com or and macdibble.com, M-A-C-D-I-B-B-L-E.com. So go and have a look because it's a really interesting exercise in how to manage two different author brands in one handy spot. Um, Thank you very much and best of luck with The Dog Runner. I hope it also wins all of the awards for you.
2: Oh, thank you, Alison. That would be wonderful if it did. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by the
0: Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. Wow, cool. Okay, Bren McDibble. Um, what a what a story.
1: Well, <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, the thing is too, like I've read um, – I've read The Dog Runner and it is a great book. Like it's a really good book. And I gave it to my youngest um, to read as well. He hasn't quite got to it yet because he's finishing off something else. But um, the voice of the book is very well done and just the whole adventure and you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't read How to Be, which is her, which is the one that she uh, won the CBCA award for last year. But, it, you know, it's now on my list having read this new one of hers um but it's comes highly recommended so you know if you've got kids in that age group and they're they like an adventure story so it's one of those books that's it's kind of scary like because it's in the sense that you know for a 10-year-old it's kind of scary because mm. there's a sense of menace you know you're not quite sure what's going to happen there's you know these kids are running across the Australian Um, the Australian bush with these but they have these dogs with them they have all these massive dogs with them so it's a very clever thing because you always feel as though like they're on the edge of being in big trouble all the time but you as a person as a young person you're thinking it's okay they've got the big dogs Mm -hmm. so you know it's very 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 good like she's
0: done a brilliant job with it awesome all right so what are you doing in the coming week Al well I'm I'm writing stuff Val so there's that kind of we don't have very good of, answers with this. No, not, question this week. not
1: this week we don't. Like, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that we're, um, you know, the actual reality of, of working, of writing, and of actually just getting the stuff done, particularly when you have a deadline, mm. is just not that exciting to talk about <laughs> because it is just intense work. And so it that's is. what I'm doing. I am working intensely at the moment, and you know it's great. Like it's it's kind of you know I feel like I'm downloading my brain, which is somewhat painful uh, at yes. times, but also you know it's 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 good to just clarify a lot of things yeah. so that's good um but it's also real like I get to the end of the day and I'm just wiped out like I am really tired it's I really know.
0: tiring yeah I went to bed like at a normal hour last no. night because I was so exhausted not. yeah this writing thing does <laughs> <It's laughs> really take it out of me it's like doing a workout
1: I know, but you're not burning enough calories. That's the other thing. You're just like sitting. And poor old Procrasti has had, um, he's got a basketball injury at the moment. So he's been a little bit out of action. So he's had to be convalescing. I can't take him for his, you know, daily walk, um, which is, you know, bad in some ways. Uh, but also good because it's given me that extra, you know, hour in the mornings just to kind of get stuff done. But, oh, yes. yeah, I get to the end of the day feeling like I've walked, you know, eight hours mm-hmm. and I haven't and I haven't even walked my usual, you know, one hour. So I'm probably like I, I, I honestly do wish that writing burned an enormous amount of calories because I would be like so fit.
0: But, but how about those people who do the treadmill desks? They are actually. The- <sighs>
1: Uh, well, yeah, I know, works. but I, I don't know that I could. I don't. I don't know, like call me. You know, not quite up there. But I just don't know that I could walk and type at the same time.
0: Yeah, you I'm could.
1: Not sure, I'm not sure. I got well,
0: well. Of course, you could.
1: No, I no. I actually couldn't because I can't even walk and text at the same time. I have to stop text keep walking like I was talking to Ra at the Australian Writers Centre about this the other day because she sent me this thing and I had to respond and i had to ring her and just say you know I was going to send you a text but I'm walking and I can't walk and text I'm not Tristan Banks I can't write 2,000 (laughs) words with my thumbs whilst maintaining a steady pace I had to actually stop do the thing so I called her I said this is so good this is why people used to ring each other
0: because you can do it at the same time (laughs) Oh dear! All right. Well, um, I would love to have a treadmill desk, except a I don't want to spend the money because I went to the shop, the treadmill mm. desk shop, and um, it's like three thousand mm. uh, dollars. and number two, it's ugly. You know, like I don't have a knife. I know, but, you
1: know, we're talking about your health and well-being here. It's like <laughs> kale. Kale tastes terrible and oh, yet it's good for okay. you. I feel like the treadmill desk might look <laughs> terrible, but it's good for you. And please do not, do not send me your messages about how awesome kale is because you will never convince me that it tastes good because it doesn't. I'm sorry, yeah. it doesn't.
0: <laughs> All right. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, You will find me at
1: alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at at al-tait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you?
0: You will find me not at my treadmill desk, but apologies <laughs> to ugly treadmill. treadmill. The kale treadmill test. Apologies to anyone who does have a treadmill desk. I'm actually secretly envious and I'm just finding excuses not to have one myself. So they're probably not ugly at all. They're probably extremely beneficial. You'll find me at Valerie Koo uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, please do connect with both of us in the Facebook group. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer Podcast Community on Facebook, and request to join. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there, and it's such a great group of people. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye.